Today's scripture comes from 1 Kings 19, verses 19 through 21. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he rose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, East Point Church. Uh, my name is Pasquale Thetford. I serve as one of the deacons here at East Point Church, and uh, we're glad that you have come to join us this morning, as well as those online. And so we, we say welcome, and we hope that you've been blessed uh, so far this morning, and we pray that as we dive into God's word that you will uh, be convicted and, and called to, to follow Christ in a new way this morning. So we are continuing in our uh, series through the life of Elisha. You've heard the word read in, in your hearing. Uh, let us pray this morning that the Lord would give us understanding. Dear God, we, we thank you for this, this morning. We thank you for uh, waking us up, giving us hearts and minds to, to come, come into your house, to, to sing praises to you, to pray, to, to hear from your word. We, some of us, Father, have had a long and uh, treacherous week. Some of us have had uh, really gracious weeks and joyful weeks. And however we come into this moment, Lord, we ask that you would remove all distractions, help us to, to focus now on your word, help us to, to listen to, to the voice of your spirit leading and calling us. And I ask that you would speak through me May I be your mouthpiece to, to call and convict and to heal and to motivate your people uh, to know you more and, again, to follow after Christ. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, again, as we are continuing in our series through the life of Elijah and Elisha, uh, today we are introduced to uh, Elijah. Elisha, sorry. Uh, just a disclaimer, it's probably going to be a whole lot of getting the two mixed up. So hopefully, hopefully we can make it through with Elijah and Elisha pronouncing them right and putting them with the right person. Uh, but this week we are looking at the life and the calling of Elisha. And so as we learned last week, uh, God was not going to leave Elijah without others to battle with him. And so therefore we see the, the threefold protection that he provided for Elijah in providing protection outside of Israel and Syria by anointing Haziel, uh, protection inside of Jerusalem with the anointing of Jehu, and God gives Elijah a prophet to succeed him, not only succeed him, but also to be with him and to encourage him. I'm reminded of, of Genesis 2.18 when when God says, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, we typically think of that. We think of the context of marriage when God is about to make a woman for Adam. But if we can think outside the context of marriage this morning, we, I think we all would agree that loneliness is, is not good in any walk of life. 
especially in ministry. And so God's grace to Elijah would be to give him an assistant, a companion in ministry. I want us to consider the the encouragement that both Elijah and Elisha would receive just in their names and just the meaning of their names. Undoubtedly, there would be others that would assist Elijah and Elisha to be other prophets. There would be prophets they would train. But consider earlier in chapter 19 that Elijah was fleeing for his life. Again, by the grace of God, he provides a successor in the line of prophets, one that would be his right-hand man, a man whose name means God is my salvation. Elisha's name means God is my salvation. Elisha's help, as well as our help this morning, comes from the Lord. But Elijah's assistant in the ministry has a name that means God is my salvation. Whenever fear, doubt, and despair would tempt to move in and overcome, he had God is my salvation at his right hand to assist him. Interesting enough, Elijah's name means my God is Yahweh. And so together they would be called to declare who God is and who God was to Israel and all they encountered. But don't miss that they too would need that encouragement from one another. And so together they were by name, my God is Yahweh and, my, and God is my salvation. This is the truth that they would proclaim together, but also remind one another of. And so Elisha's call was a, was a call to be the mouthpiece of God. But in addition to that, his call was a call to relationship, a call to accountability for Elijah. And so as we journey on to examine his call, we, I think we have a, a great opportunity to see the role of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And so as we examine the call of Elisha, we, we have just two points this morning, just two points. God called and Elijah responded. God called and Elijah responded. And so we don't, we don't know much about Elijah other than he has been chosen to be the successor to Elijah. And we first find uh, as Elijah found that Elijah worked. Elisha, see, it's happening again. Elisha worked. Most likely, Elisha was part of a wealthy family of farmers. And they had 12 pair of oxen, each pair with their own servant plowing uh, behind it. And so that's, that's at least 24 oxen that this family has, and they're plowing the field. And so this family was very wealthy, and they had a lot of They had a lot of workers. And so it's helpful for us to highlight that Elijah, he finds Elisha working. He doesn't go down to Adonai Theological Seminary to find Elisha. There's no training institution for prophets. What we find throughout Scripture is that those that God calls are often found not to be impressive. Consider Moses. He was in his 80s working as a shepherd feeding the flock, when God called him. David, a shepherd, engaged in the family business when God called him. Gideon, working on the threshing floor when God called him. So the list goes on and on and on. Elisha is falling right in line with all the other prophets as a normal man working a normal job, and God would call them into service. So again, let us consider what Elisha is doing when when Elijah finds him. Why does Elijah find Elisha plowing? Well, simply put, God was faithful. 
Remember, it, it had been three and a half years since it had rained. And in the latter portion of 1 Kings 18, after the defeat, the defeat of Baal and the prophets of Baal, the Lord sends rain. That means that Elisha's family had to keep at least all 24 of these oxen fed and, and taken care of for three and a half years with no water. That in itself is a miracle by the hand of God. But it also shows and underscores the amount of wealth and, and just how wealthy this family was. And so, again, it's, it's, it's worth noting that Elisha was found faithfully working when found by Elisha. Consider that Elijah could have, he could have shown up and Elisha was idle. Maybe he was taking a nap. You know, maybe he was playing a video game or something. Maybe he's just, you know, just wasting time. It, it reminds me of, of, of a, a football player this week uh, that received a contract, a huge contract, $230 million, and they had to put in the contract that he needed to spend time outside of the, the stadium watching film. Now, if you don't follow football, that would be, that would be like essentially saying, we're going to pay you this money, but you got to make sure you do your job. Like, we, we're going to pay you this money, but you need to make sure that you actually practice. So when Elijah shows up and he finds Elisha, he's not finding him sleep. He's not finding him wasting time. He's finding him working. He's finding him faithful with his hands to the plow. Now, imagine the encouragement that Elijah would have saw. Like, he walks up and he sees this man working, not somewhere off, goofing off, wasting his time, being idle, but he's working. Now, it doesn't tell us everything about Elisha, but it at least tells Elijah, okay, I, I have something to work with here. This guy's being faithful. He's not sitting off complaining, well, it rained now, but, you know, it was three and a half years before it rained. So I, I don't know if I want to plow the field because it might stop raining again. He's being faithful to what the Lord has called him to. The Lord sent the rain. He and his family are out engaging and plowing the fields. And so, again, I think it's encouraging that we see that, the, that Elisha finds Elisha working. He finds Elisha doing what he was meant to do. When I was in college, I played football, and one of the, the team-issued T-shirts we had had a saying on it. It said, be where you are supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do all the time. Be where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do all the time. Now, this motto isn't flashy, it doesn't rhyme, and for the most part, most of my teammates, and I included, we thought it was kind of lame and weird. Like, why couldn't we put something else on the T-shirt, like something that, you know, a rallying call? Why do we got to have this lame saying on our T-shirts? But the more I think about that motto, and I, and I think about that in my life, it was not only the code to winning a championship, it's also a helpful way to think about life. And think about it. It's simple, but think about it. In sports, if you can be where you're supposed to be on the court, on the field, and doing what you're supposed to do all the time, your chances of winning grow exponentially. But what happens? Most of the errors we find in sports were that guy wasn't where he was supposed to be, or he was there, but he missed the tackle, or he was there, but he fumbled the ball, or he missed the shot, or he missed this. Or he... It's, it's simple. It's this simple concept of being where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to do all the time. And we find that in Scripture. Adam and Eve in, in Genesis 3, they were where they were supposed to be, but they were not doing what they were supposed to do. 
What Adam should have been doing was reminding Eve of the word of God concerning that tree and removing the serpent from their midst. David, in his sin with Bathsheba, was not where he should have been. He was a king. It was a time for war. He should have been out on the field with his soldiers. But yet he stayed back and ultimately did what he should not have done. I think about a a car accident that I was uh, involved in shortly after I graduated from high school. Uh, It was a a case of me going where I should not have been going. I was given the car. I was supposed to go to the school and and get a workout, and the the gym was locked that day. And so I decided instead of going back home, I'm going to go elsewhere. Not going to get into what, what I was planning to do, but it was elsewhere. And, and I get into an accident. And my first thought is, how am I going to explain this to my parents? I'm on the other side of town. I have no reasonable explanation for being where I was. But again, it, it's that idea of I was not where I should have been. I wasn't being where I should have been, doing what I was supposed to do all the time. It's a moment. Of, of lapse. And it was honestly by God's grace that I had a car accident. What if God would have allowed me to go where I had planned to go? Think about that in your own life. The times that God has interrupted your plans to do evil. It's the grace of the Lord in our lives this morning. But thankfully, when, when Elijah shows up, he doesn't find Elisha doing something he shouldn't be doing. He finds him working faithfully in the field. And so, again, it's, it's, it's no small thing. I know it's just the context of the text this morning, just explaining what's happening, but I want us to really, really take note of the fact that Elisha Elijah was being faithful. And so as we continue to, to explore this, uh, this call of Elisha, we find uh, that as, as Elisha was plowing, we see that Elijah places his cloak on Elisha, and immediately Elisha re- runs after Elijah to follow him. Now, you may be wondering, what what does this mean? Why would Elijah throw a cloak on Elisha? Why wouldn't he just tell him, hey, the Lord has sent me to tell you he has called you to be a prophet? He He could have just said that. But certainly there is symbolism going on here. This cloak definitely has meaning. And for us to properly understand what's going on with this cloak, we need to look back through the, the, the Old Testament at the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the prophets. And so as we look through the scriptures, what we find is that the Spirit of God would come upon uh, the prophets. The, the scriptures talk about this in the sense of the Spirit clothing uh, a person. We see that in 1 Chronicles uh, twelve eighteen, where it says that the Spirit clothed Amasai, the chief of the thirty. And he said, we are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you and peace to your helpers, for God, for your God helps you. And so this clothing, this coming, uh, this coming upon the prophet was usually for the purpose of speaking and proclaiming God's word. Second Chronicles 24 and 20 says, then the spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, thus says God. In Judges 6.34, we find Gideon being clothed by the Spirit. And it says, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. 
And so again, this, this clothing, this coming upon the prophet was, was for, the meant, uh, for the purpose uh, that they would know who God is and they would know his power. The spirit would come upon them, enabling them to do what God would call them to do. And we see in, his, in Isaiah 61, uh, verse 1, we find these words where it says, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Again, this, uh, by the way, this is what Jesus reads in Luke 4 when he reads this in the synagogue and proclaims that in this day, the scriptures have been fulfilled. And so what we find in the Old Testament is that when a prophet or priest was to be anointed uh, for a spe- uh, special and specific purpose, the scriptures tell us that the spirit of the Lord came upon them or clothed them. And so it is in this fashion that we see Elijah using a cloak or mantle. Maybe your translation says mantle. Uh, he throws this cloak upon Elisha. And it was said that the cloak or the mantle for the prophet was meant, it was meant to be an outer garment. And it was usually uh, something that they wore uh, to distinguish them. So this was Elijah's distinguishing kind of garb. It would have been hairy. It was believed to be made out of camel's hair. Uh, and it probably would have carried his odor. Whether that was a good odor or not, we don't know. But he throws this cloak on Elijah. Elisha. Excuse me. And so again, we... We must admit, you know, that this, it must have been pretty weird for Elisha to have this happen. You're working, you got a plow, you got these two big oxen, you focused on what you're supposed to be doing. This guy comes along, walks past you, and just drops, just drops this cloak on you and keeps walking. Doesn't say, good morning, good evening, how you doing? Straight row, you, you plow in there, nothing. He just, he just leaves and keeps walking. And what are you left to do? Now, whether Elijah, Elisha knew uh, Elijah, we don't know. Um, it's, it's believed that he could have already known Elijah uh, when, when the, 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 the defeat of Baal happened on the Mount Carmel. Uh, the scriptures say that a lot of Israel was around the mountain and witnessed it. So perhaps Elisha was in the audience and, and saw him and knew him. But either way, whether, whether the Lord told him or whether he knew him or not, he knew immediately Uh, what this meant for him. And so this reminds me of of a similar fashion that that Jesus would call his disciples. Jesus would, you see in the New Testament, Jesus would walk up and tell his disciples to follow him. No other explanation. The scriptures say they would follow him. And again, to me, it just kind of seems kind of mind-boggling that this guy walks up, he says, follow me, you know what that means, and you start following and so the, the, the Lord, the Lord, not Elijah, again, this was the Lord's calling. Without saying a word, he says to Elisha, I see that you're plowing. Follow me and I will teach you to plow the hearts of men. Keep in mind that this is God's call. Elijah is, Elijah is just a mediator. And so God is calling Elisha in, into this work. And so we see again that Elisha is running to Elijah And saying to him in verse 20, allow me to go, let me let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back for what have I done to you? So Elijah here reminds us that this is the Lord's calling upon Elisha. 
uh, by his response. Elisha's request to go back and say goodbye to his family is met with Elijah saying, what have I done to you? In other words, Elijah is saying, go back. This isn't my call. I'm, I'm just a mediator. This is God's call. This is something you and the Lord must hash out between the two of you. I'm not preventing you from saying no to your family. If you want to go back and say no to your family, do whatever you need to do, but remember what I have done to you. And so, therefore, we see uh, Elijah giving a response that uh, some of us would, would recognize as different from the response we see of Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, if you if spend any time studying the Gospels, you'll be familiar with Jesus speaking to those who desire to follow him. And he's giving these seemingly harsh and, and cruel responses to their uh, either excuses or reasons for why they need to delay following him. And so I, I thought it, it'd be impossible for us to understand uh, what is going on without, in this passage without journeying over to the New Testament to see what Jesus is saying to those that, uh, that would seek to follow him. So you have your Bibles. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 9, verses uh, 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. I re- I'm not too old to remember a time when you would, you would give a scripture reference, and then you would just hear pages turning. Like, shh, shh. And now all of you are looking at me because you know it's going to be on the screens. So, so great, great, great. I have no pages turning. All right, great. Uh, but again, I, I think it's helpful for us to, to keep in mind uh, one of the key themes of understanding Scripture is that what, what we may see that is uh, confusing or obscure in the Old Testament often is explained in the New and vice versa. And so we see Jesus giving these uh, seemingly cruel responses, but Elisha, Elisha in, in 1 Kings 19 uh, gives a great Uh, explanation to what's happening there. And so Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, it reads, as they were going along on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have, have their nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so here we, we see Jesus dealing with these three men. Uh, two of them profess their desire to follow Jesus, and one of them, uh, Jesus is commanding to them to follow him. And to borrow the, the alliteration from Phil Johnson in his sermon on Elisha, we have the case of three twos. The first was too hasty, the second was too hesitant, and the third was too homebound. Too hasty, too hesitant, and too homebound. So what immediately confronts us is this seeming visceral response we get from Jesus in each situation. 
to the first that was hasty in vowing that he would follow Jesus, Jesus reminds him that following Jesus is not a life of ease and comfort. Salvation, yes, is free, but we will not go through this life without trouble. This is the promise that we have in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, where it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But yet again, we have confidence from God in the New Testament, but also we have this promise from the Old Testament in Psalms 34:19, where it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord de- delivers him out of them all. And so looking again at verses 59 and 60 in Luke 9, Jesus tells a man to follow him, but his response is, Let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And in Jesus' words to the, to the third one, he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so now as we, as we look back at how Elijah responded to Elisha, the responses are very different. In Luke 61 to uh, Eli, well, sorry, and Elisha requests the same thing as the man in Luke 9, 61, to go home and to say goodbye to his family. And so what's the difference? Would Jesus have responded to Elisha in the same way that he responded to these three men? Was Elijah being soft on Elisha by allowing him to go home and, and visit his family and say goodbye to them? None of this is the case. The key to understanding what Jesus is doing in Luke 9 is what we find in John 5, 24 and 25. It says that Jesus knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So what we find is cruelty in Jesus is really him exposing the hearts of men. He knew that none of these men had any clue of what it really meant to follow him. And so what we find in 1 Kings is that Elisha is set out as a model example for how to respond to God's call. Jesus knew that none of those men would really follow him, and that's why he gave them no out. With every excuse they they came up with, he trumped that with the priority of the kingdom. And so what Jesus is doing in, in Luke 9 is he's communicating the urgency and the importance of the kingdom. When Jesus calls you, you do not delay. It's all or nothing. Matthew 10, uh, 37, Jesus says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, Jesus doesn't say whoever loves his mother or father isn't worthy of me. The emphasis is on more. More, if you love your family more than me, if you love your possessions more than me, if you love your career more than me, it's, it's that more, that more that will eventually get in the way of doing the will of God. In Luke 14 and 33, Jesus says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The response to renounce all that you have reminds me of that great Christmas movie, Coming to America. I I know y'all wouldn't, Christmas movie, like, what what do you, think about it, it is a Christmas movie. So, um, in that movie, I'm sure I don't have to run down the plot, most of us have 
you know, seen this movie. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. You have Akeem. He has traveled to Queens, New York to find his queen. And one of the one of, the, uh, one of my favorite scenes is he's on the subway train. He's trying to convince her to marry him. And he says to her, like, you think, you think I want this kingdom? You, like, you think I won't give this up? I'll give it up. And on that train, he, he, he renounces all that he has, all his rights to the kingdom, so that he can marry this lady. And so as we think of that, we, we understand that because we understand and know the power of love. The power of love will make you renounce all that you have to gain that one person. And we're familiar with this because we see this in Scripture also. In, in Matthew uh, 13 and verse 44, it's the parable of the hidden treasure. It says that the kingdom of heaven is like the hidden treasure in a field, which a man has found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Simply put, you are willing to give all that you have to follow Jesus because you have realized that he is all you want and need. So again, the response that is required when Jesus calls you is found in the response that we see in Elisha. So we're moving back to 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings 19, 21. We see that Elisha throws a block party. A few weeks back, I had the privilege to attend a pig roast. We had this big pig. It was laid out, split open. It was enough food to feed us all like 10 times over. It was great. But what Elisha does in saying goodbye to his family is to throw a community-wide, possibly city-wide barbecue. Like this is a huge cookout. The text says that he sacrificed a yoke of oxen. So that's two oxen. The amount of meat uh, there gives a sense for how many people would have attended this event. Now, I did a little internet research, and by internet research, I mean I just Googled one time, and I took the first thing that searched that came up. <laughs> Y'all do it too. Y'all do it too, so don't, don't, don't look at me like that. So, uh, according to uh, South Dakota State University, which, you know, you can believe because it's South Dakota State. They're familiar with the oxen. Uh, South, according to South Dakota State University, a 1,200-pound ox would net you around 500 pounds of trimmed beef. And they give an example for how, you know, how much meat you could divide up this 500 pounds into. 185 pounds of ground beef, 85 pounds of round roast and steaks, 90 pounds of chuck roast, 80 pounds of rib and loin steaks, 50 pounds of other cuts, brisket, flank, short ribs, and skirt steak. And that's from one oxen. That's just one. He did two of them. And so needless to say, this was quite the event. But more important than how much brisket was served was the fact that none of this, none of this was required by the Lord or Elijah. Elisha was just demonstrating to God, Elijah, and his family that he knew exactly what this call meant. Elisha had no plans of padding his retirement savings account before following Elijah. He knew what this meant. See, Elijah, he didn't grow up in the United States where God and money function hand in hand. You can actually serve God and money. He lived in Israel, and at that time, he knew to be a prophet meant that you might lose your life. And so when Elijah 
places this, this mantle on him. He understands the calling that's placed in front of him. And so he knew that this would be his final goodbye. And so he wanted to honor and celebrate his mother and his father and celebrate, really, the calling that God has placed on his life. It's, it's important for us to understand that Elisha here is burning bridges. Once, the, once Elijah reached the shores of this calling, he let the ships roll away. He wasn't worried about setting anchors at all. I'm here now, and I'm moving forward. In the words of that great theologian, I, I can imagine, you know, it's a, it's a cookout, it's a barbecue scene. They got all this brisket. I, I, I love brisket, so I can imagine if I was there, they was, they was slicing the brisket. And then, you know, they got a radio and a, a stereo in the background that's playing, you know, Frankie Beverly and Mays, and, you know, it's playing all the hits. But then Elisha, he walks over to the DJ, and he says, I got this one track you got to play. It's like, what is it? Well, you know, that's this guy named Fizzle. And, and, and he has this song called I Ain't Turning Back. And so in the, in the background, as he's saying goodbye to his family, you got this, the speakers, the subs are just pumping. And he's pumping his music. And he comes to this part in the song where it says, that's why, homie, I ain't turning back. You hear me? I ain't turning back. The only thing I ain't turning back is my fitted hat. And so for Eli- I just messed that up. I know, I know. But anyway, I listened to that song coming to church this morning. I just felt chills all over my body because I'm just thinking, like, Elijah was committed. And this is the type of response that we need to have when Jesus calls us, that we're not turning back. There's no reason for us to look back. There's no reason for us to try to worry about how we're going to live for tomorrow. Like, the Lord has all of that. And so Elisha was, was proclaiming to his family, y'all, God got me. You, you ain't got to worry about me. I'm moving forward. And if you know the God I know, you'd actually want to go with me too. And so we see Elijah. Elijah is witnessing this. I'm thinking, man, how much, how much more uh, Elijah must have been uh, encouraged to see. Like, I didn't tell this guy to do this. God didn't tell me to tell him to sacrifice oxen, to take the yoke that he used to, 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 to plow. Like, he burned up all the tools of the trade. And he's sending this signal to his family, y'all, I'm out. This calling is on my life, and I'm gone. And so, again, this is the, this is the type of response that we need to respond with when God calls us. And so it is for us. We all got some oxen and some plows that we need to burn this morning. What tools of the trade need to be destroyed so you can wholeheartedly follow after the Lord? I want us to to consider the words that that describe the disciples as they decided to follow Jesus. In Luke 5, 27 and 28, Jesus calls Matthew, who is called Levi. In Luke 28, it says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I know we we just kind of gloss over that, but think about that phrase, leaving everything. Levi left everything. He didn't didn't just leave his task collecting booth and everything he had that day. He was leaving his whole life behind to follow Jesus and to embrace a new life. This is what Israel wrestled with with God after God delivered them out of slavery. You read it in Exodus. They wanted to go back. They, they had a hard time embracing this new life. This is what ultimately destroyed Lot's wife and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is our struggle today. How do we follow Christ 
without looking back? How do we follow Christ without trying to secure our future, without trying to pad our savings account, without trying to make sure that we got things taken care of? Now, again, I'm not trying to say that it's not wise or godly to save and have a retirement plan and leave things behind for your kids. That's perfectly biblical. But there's a way in which you can do that that says to you, your family, and everyone around, this guy is following after Jesus. And this is what we need to really seek after and find a meaning of. And so remember that Jesus says, uh, whoever puts his hand to this plow, Elisha, he was found plowing. You may be called working wherever you work, or you may be self-employed. To follow Jesus doesn't always mean a literal and physical career change. It might just mean just a shift. You may be plowing the field and God calls you to plow uh, the hearts of men. There's, we need to have an understanding in, in, our, in, our, in our practice of Christianity that God needs his people at TikTok. He needs his people at Amazon or Google or whatever restaurant you work in. Like God needs his, his prophets everywhere. And what we find in the Old Testament is a glimpse in the idea and the reality that actually we're all called to be prophets. We see that in Numbers 11. This is, this is mind-blowing. I didn't even know Moses said this. Look at Numbers 11, 29. Moses says, would, I would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses in the, in the book of Numbers is giving us a hint at the idea Actually, one day we're all going to be prophets. Look at Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, where it declares, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And then we see in Luke 24 and 49, Jesus tells his disciples, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay, in but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There it is again, this idea of being clothed by the Spirit. And Jesus is telling his disciples, remain in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And this is what we find fulfilled in, in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. God's Spirit being poured out on all flesh. And so Jesus comes to us calling us to follow him. His blood cleanses us, and we now have a new identity. Colossians tells us that we are to put on the new self. So it's not that Jesus comes with this mantle or this cloak. He actually comes bringing to us a new identity, and he tells us to put on the new self. We see this in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, where it tells them, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you all also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so examine your, your walk with the Lord this morning. Are you following Christ like Elisha or are you making excuses or, or exceptions like the men in Luke 9? 
Are you following after him wholeheartedly? I pray and, and trust that we would consider Elisha's feast. This was a grand feast. But also consider the feast of Christ this morning. Christ made a feast for all, not just a local neighborhood, city, or town. Christ put on a feast for everyone. Elisha sacrificed the oxen. Christ was sacrificed on our behalf. So when Christ calls us to follow him, he's already prepared the feast for you. You don't have any oxen to slaughter this morning? No worries. Christ has taken care of that. The bread and the wine are symbolic of the newness of life that we have in here. And so as we come to the table in a few moments, consider the fact that Christ has sacrificed himself. So when he's calling you to follow him, he's done all the real difficult work there is to do. The hardest thing that needs to be done, Christ has done. And he says, follow him. Follow me. It may be difficult, but trust, I've overcome death. You will have this newness of life. You have it already. Follow me. So again, accept the, the feast of Christ this morning. Would you follow him? Would you lay aside every weight and thing that entangles you this morning to follow after Christ? Let's pray.